I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 31 this evening. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Tonight, we're beginning a new series that I titled The Power of Encouragement. The Power of Encouragement. I'll explain the graphic I chose here in just a moment. Uh, But let's pray and let's ask God's blessing over this time that we have together tonight in His Word. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, uh, for the songs we have sung tonight. Um, Lord, I'm thankful. Lord, you're so good. Uh, God, I I have nothing to complain about, nothing to fret over uh, when I sit down and really contemplate how good you've been to me. So God, do forgive me for my uh, complaining spirit at times, my critical spirit. And God, liberate me, continue liberating me from that as you have been over the last several weeks. And God, I just pray uh, that, Lord, you would anoint this time. God, that revival would sweep through this church. And God, we would see people saved in these pews filled for your glory and your honor. God, we thank you for your word. Speak to us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Truett Cathy made the statement. He said, if you don't know who Truett Cathy is, he's the founder of Chick-fil-A. Uh, he made the statement and said, how do you know if somebody needs encouragement? He said, if they're breathing. If they're breathing. How do you know if somebody needs encouragement if they are breathing? The reality is we all need encouragement. How many understand that even in you know, our Wednesday night service, certainly much smaller than Sunday, but even in the, in the crowd we have here tonight, how many understand that there's a lot of brokenness represented in this room? There's a lot of, a lot of pain and heartache represented. Uh, there's a lot of things maybe unheard of, unspoken, that is represented, things that have um, uh, scarred us from our past, uh, things that have challenged us over the course of growing up in a cursed world. Truly, brokenness and hopelessness and shame and regret and resentfulness and bitterness and strife, among many others, these things, ab- these things abound in our culture. They abound in the church. And it's true of our culture that we have conditioned ourselves often to think of ourselves first. It's almost as if for the majority, the days of genuinely caring about people are over. I remember the days, how many remember the hospitable days of yesteryear uh, when people welcomed people into their home and they genuinely cared to meet the needs of somebody else? Sadly, those days are, are passing us by and maybe uh, maybe are on the brink of extinction amongst many. Do you believe as a Christian that you should genuinely care? about all people. You believe as a Christian you should genuinely care about all people. All colors, all classes, all orientations. We should care about all people. How many believe that your Bible teaches that Jesus died for all people? How about the people you don't like? You're supposed to care for them. How about those who are against you? 
who speak falsely of you, who may be out to get you, maybe to taint your reputation. You're supposed to care about them, of course. God's led me to spend some much-needed time talking about this much-needed but often forgotten practice of encouraging somebody else. And tonight, we're going to begin this series by talking about the foundation of encouragement. The foundation of encouragement. I believe that if we were all honest, if we just had a discussion about each other's lives, if this was one big connect group and we were just talking about life and really felt like we could open up, I believe there would be some who would speak up, maybe all, maybe 100% of us would say, there are some things about my life I want to change. There are some things about my marriage I want to change. There are some things about my parenting that I want to change. There are some things about my life of faith and my life at work that I want to change. I think if we uh, dig beneath the surface and recognize that, look, I want some change to take place within my life, and I'm telling you, things begin to change when the practice of encouragement takes root in your heart and in your life, in your person, each day of your life, it becomes a part of who you are. Things begin to happen in your life that you maybe never thought could. Things begin to change. See, there's power that springs forth from encouragement. Imagine a church full of believers who seek, who are laser-focused in this area of encouragement, in this area of their Christian living. Encouragement touches emotions, but it also affects the mind. We live in a, a, a world of mental illness and emotional challenges and problems and and I'm telling you, uh, I think encouragement does more for people, does more for you than any medication ever can. Not against medication, but encouragement can certainly do a lot to change one's life, one's attitude. Possibly even lead them to saving faith in Christ. The Apostle Paul commanded the church to build up one another. He said this in Ephesians 4.29, he said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of what, church? Edifying. Building up. That it may minister grace to the hearers. See, when you build someone else up, you minister grace. Hebrews 10.24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, what's the day there that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? The soon coming of Christ. When the day of the Lord draws near, and I know, well, we've heard preacher for decades that the Lord is coming back. Listen, Paul lived with expectation that Jesus could come back in any moment. And I believe if Paul did, we should. Amen? We should live with that expectation. Jesus could come back tonight. We don't know how much time we have left, but I do know this. The writer of Hebrews was telling believers in his day, and I'm telling believers tonight, that we need to be encouraging one another more as we see the day approaching. And why is that? Because things are going to wax worse and worse and worse until the coming of Christ. How many understand we need one another? We need one another. A whole different level than when you say, we, I like going to church and being around my brothers and sisters. 
takes on a whole new meaning when you say, I need to be around my brothers and sisters in Christ for that encouragement, that accountability, that building up, that edification that Paul talked about. The text I've asked you to turn to in Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31 is a precious passage to me. You know, when I read Deuteronomy 31, I often think of last conversations I have with people. Uh, being in the ministry, uh, you're with many people when they pass. And boy, that never gets easier. Never gets easier. But I cherish the last moments and the last memories I have with those that I love, those in my family, those that I pastor. Because sometimes there's a lot of wisdom shared leading up to the last moments of someone's life that stays with you forever. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses is at the end of his life. He's soon going to go home and be with the Lord. He's 120 years old. You know, and when you look at Moses' life, you can break his life down basically into three 40-year segments. First 40 years he spent in Egypt. The second 40 years he spent in Midian. And the third 40 years leading the Israelites out of bondage through the wilderness to the promised land. Now, can I stop here and ask you a question? How would you like to be 80 years old and called to lead God's people out of bondage? The life and ministry of Moses were coming to an end. But God's work would go on. Even though he was still strong for his age at 120 years old, Moses admitted that he no longer could provide the daily leadership that was necessary for Israel. And God would not allow him to enter the land over the, uh, over the Jordan because of, we know, the sin that he committed uh, at the waters of Meribah. Joshua would be Israel's new leader. And in the sight of all people, here toward the end of his life, Moses gives his last counsel to Joshua. And the last counsel he gives Joshua, he encourages him. Look at Deuteronomy 31, beginning at verse number 1. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel and said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go, and the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you. And you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them just as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, into their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do them according to do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance." The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. 
Do not fear or be dismayed. How many understand that as you read those eight verses, these words of Moses, his last counsel to Joshua, doesn't it just bless your heart to see this godly man encouraging his successor as he takes over as the leader who's going to lead God's people into the promised land? Look, he tells him to be strong and be courageous. He says, look, God's going to go ahead of you. He's going to be with you. You don't have to be afraid or be dismayed, or you could translate that word discouraged. You don't have to be discouraged. Tonight, I want us to look at a couple of things as we lay the foundation, as we see how encouragement took root in the life of Moses and how in his last counsel he gives encouragement to Joshua. I want us tonight to lay the foundation for encouragement in our own lives. And to do that, we've got to look at a couple of things. The first thing is this. I want us to look at the definition of encouragement. I want us to look at the definition of encouragement. So let's ask the question, what is encouragement? And I think to answer that question, we need to understand what an encouragement is not. What it's not. Encouragement is not compliments and praise. Somewhere along the way, encouragement somehow became defined as those things. Just simply complimenting, praising, and flattering someone. Encouragement's not those things. Encouragement is not always pleasant. I think some shy away from encouragement because they just think of flowers and butterflies when they think of encouragement. But truthfully, biblical, scriptural encouragement is not always pleasant. Sometimes it involves confrontation. And it puts you in uncomfortable situations. So it's important to understand that encouragement is not compliments and praise and flattery. It's not uh, just... Flowers and butterflies, it's not always pleasant. Sometimes it involves confrontation. Sometimes it involves being uncomfortable. That's what it's not. But let's look at what encouragement is. The Greek word we have in the New Testament for encouragement is parakaleo, and it appears 105 times in the New Testament. So you see this theme throughout the New Testament, and, and, and the meaning of this Greek word parakaleo means to come alongside of. That is where that graphic came from. Because when a car is empty, uh, when its battery is drained, when your battery's dead, you need someone to come alongside of you, connect to your vehicle with jumper cables, and give you a jump start. Every time you have to jump your car off, maybe hopefully it won't happen to you, but it somehow always does, doesn't it? Leave a light on or something. We ought to think of this Greek word, parakaleo, because that's what encouragement is. It is coming alongside somebody who's empty who's drained of energy, connecting with them and giving them a jump start. That's the Greek word. That's the picture we have for encouragement in the New Testament. The Hebrew word is kalzak. And it's a similar meaning in the Hebrew language. It it means to come alongside of. Encouragement can mean giving support or confidence. But in the Bible, it's much deeper than that. Encouragement means, watch, you are building something in them. Someone said that someone can go a lot farther than they ever thought they could. Now listen, when someone else thinks they can. Someone can go a lot farther than they ever thought they could when someone else thinks they can. Now I think it's time that God's people would learn to trust Him and believe in one another. And believe in people and see the best in them. 
And boy, I'm telling you, when this takes root, it's life-changing. Encouragement is building something in them. Encouragement is coming alongside them, strengthening them, comforting them, pushing them in the right direction. That's why I like to spell encouragement with I-N instead of E-N often. In fact, I about did that, but my perfectionist, uh, uh, I'm not a perfectionist uh, on the level that some are, but one is I cannot stand to see that little red squiggly line underneath the word on my computer screen. And so I left it as the way it's supposed to be spelled. Because the computer just was not going to let me have it. I tried, you know, putting a hyphen every. I, it just wouldn't let it let me do it. But encouragement, I encouragement, because when you encourage somebody, you are infusing them with courage to keep moving. How many understand? There's people in your life and, my, and mine that need somebody to come alongside of them, to believe in them, to connect to them, and help them to keep moving in the life that they are living. That sometimes is so difficult and hard. Every person in this room needs somebody to come alongside of them and encourage them. In courage meant. What is encouragement? I like this definition. Encouragement is building up a positive position without the use of flattery or lies or ignoring the reality of the problem and compromising the framework of discipline and judgment. Here's the application from all of that. God encouraged Moses. But watch. Moses has just said that he's not allowed to go in the promised land. God encouraged him. But Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. God, why? God would not compromise his word. Was that hateful of God? No, that was encouraging of God. Morgan Freeman recently said that in our culture... Um, if you disagree with somebody, that is defined today that you hate them. Boy, don't we just need to get away from all that? And the days even of disagreeing, agreeing to disagree, are over with. People want to pull you to where they're at. God would not compromise His Word. Doesn't mean He was hateful. Doesn't mean He hated Moses. It means He was a man of His Word. But God did encourage Moses. He took him to the mountain. He showed him the land. He encouraged his heart, but God would not change on his word. Notice real quick with me, Deuteronomy 34. Go over there real quick, just a couple of chapters over. Deuteronomy 34, and look at verse number 1. It says, Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab, to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. Here it is. Gilead, as far as Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, and, and the Negev, and the plain, and the valley of Jericho, the city of the palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. We see God encouraging Moses. See, this is an example of how emotions can be built up without compromising the truth in the mind. Biblical encouragement, as we've just seen in Deuteronomy 34, God and Moses does not ignore reality. It's not some imaginary pretend world. It confronts the reality of problems 
but in the same moment strengthens and encourages. Real encouragement, I like this definition, is honest truth with a positive perspective. Honest truth with a positive perspective. I dare say that at some point this week, someone needed encouragement. And I'm about to encourage a whole bunch of you. You know why? Brother Eric, I need you to go cut the air on, man. I'm telling you, it's burning up. I see them fanning. You mind turning that down just a, just a hair? Just a hair. Let's not freeze everybody, but just a hair. I saw Miss Cindy back there fanning. I'm going to encourage you, Sister Cindy. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, mine's everything to do with the air, and it's hot up here, let me tell you. We've needed encouragement this week. We need encouragement almost daily. In fact, I would say we do need it daily. When we're up, when we're down, when we're just in between, we need encouragement. Encouragement is a daily need for everybody in this room. I hope that the definition of encouragement has been clear. If you, miss, if you missed anything, don't miss this. Encouragement is to come alongside and to connect to someone for the purpose of infusing them with strength to help them move forward. That's what encouragement is. The second thing I want us to notice tonight is the, the detractors to encouragement. I think this is going to help us laying this foundation. We need to understand what it is, but we also need to understand what are the enemies? What, what are things that fight against this in my life? Because, I'm, again, I'm telling you, if you uh, live a life of encouragement, if you really invest in yourself in this way and make this a practice of your life, you're going to see things change. You're going to see some things begin to happen in your heart and in your life. And so you better believe that Satan's going to be angry with this series and at the end of this message and as we go throughout this because he does not want you living this way. So i got a question now as we think about the detractors to encouragement. Why do we not focus on encouragement more than we do? Why do we often, and I, talk, and I asked myself this as I was studying, why do I often find myself more critical than encouraging? Well, criticism is our natural bent. It's natural to walk in somewhere and find everything that's wrong. Tyler can walk into a place and he can name things going on that are wrong with the place. If you're at a restaurant, uh, at a playland, or whatever the case may be, he can find something wrong at home. He can find something to complain about. That's our natural bent. Um, years ago, I was trained to, for every critical thing I noticed, to find five positive things. You know how hard that is? How you try to do that tomorrow and tell me how, how quickly you succeed. For every critical thing, every critical thought, every critical word you say, find five positive things to say. It's tough because we're not naturally that way. Our flesh is naturally bent toward criticism. We like finding what's wrong. For some reason, it gives us a sense of entitlement and power to point out everything we don't like. Encouragement's different. When you embrace this truth, look, and I, I'm not, again, encouragement doesn't ignore the reality there are issues to deal with. But there's a different focus. There's a different perspective. We often find ourselves more critical than encouraging. There are some things that fight against us. There are enemies to encouragement that bring discouragement into our lives. My goal throughout the series is not to focus on discouragement, but the way out of it. And to do that, let's identify these enemies. Learning to identify the problem. 
Now listen, and claiming God's promise is part of the solution. Identifying the detractors to why I'm not more encouraging than I am and then claiming the promises of God. So here's quickly. I'm going to move through these quickly because we don't have time to expound on all of these. Let's look at 10 detractors to encouragement. All, all 10 of these things, now listen, can be stepping stones to turning weaknesses into strength. And so let's get the positive perspective. That is God's perspective, a right perspective. The first thing is this. The first enemy to discouragement is personal rejection. This is at the top of the list when you do any research in this. Psalms 27.10 says, Even if my father and mother forsake me, watch, then the Lord will take me up. Then the Lord will take me up. God wants us to see that He has accepted us. Personal rejection, even by our parents, can intensify one's awareness of God's love. Can I tell you, being rejected by parents or a spouse, a co-worker, a brother, or a sister, can I tell you, it's a painful It's a terrible experience. But you can rest knowing God has not rejected you. I had someone tell me recently, they were talking to me, and they said that they were uh, going to a former church, and and they were going through counseling, and they were eventually told that we can no longer help you. And so they started coming to visit. Personal rejection is difficult. You understand that people get out of church for stuff like that. I had someone tell me one time that they, they, they just they asked somebody how they were doing and the person they were talking to said fine and walked away. Personal rejection is hard. You say, well, that person just needs to get over themselves. Well, let me tell you something. Everybody has a story if we take the time to bother and read it. And that person feels rejected in that moment for some reason that you may not have any idea about. Because you've not taken the time to read their story. Personal rejection is hard. Personal rejection is difficult. But we can rest assured God's love never fails us. Even when the ones we, uh, who are supposed to love us let us down, God never fails us. His love is always constant. Look, we can adjust spiritually and quickly when we feel personally rejected if we'll yield to the Spirit's control. Personal rejection. The second one is this. Financial pressure breeds discouragement, critical spirit. It hinders our ability to encourage. James 2.5 says this. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Well, you read that. Aren't you thankful? Because I'm like, I'm poor. <laughs> you know? He's chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? The way to think of poor in this verse. Now, let me be clear. I was, I was making a joke just a minute ago. The way to think of poor that James mentions in this verse is humility. Because certainly Jesus died for all people. So what does that include? That includes the rich. That includes the wealthy. James isn't saying that a wealthy individual cannot be saved, but what he is saying is that God's wisdom is revealed to the foolish, the weak, the common, those considered nothing by the elite who trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. Those who are humble, no safe sinner, nobody in this room that claims to be saved can boast that he has achieved salvation through his intellect or his material gain. We are only saved by grace through faith. That was the point James was making. 
And you know why James was making that point? Because he was the half-brother of Jesus who rejected Jesus his whole life, and he was in that elite crowd. The great mass of believers is taken from those who are comparatively humble in life. That's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man. Because they're enamored with the things of this world. They worship the gods of this world. Financial pressure can breed discouragement. James 2.5, write it down as an encouraging verse for you when you feel the pressure of finances. And how many understand that God supplies every need we have? Somebody say amen. Supplies every need we have. The third thing is this, unresolved guilt. Unresolved guilt. How many can identify with the statement that, boy, don't we struggle with past guilt and stuff we've done? Regret's tough, isn't it? Things we say that we know hurt people. Ways we react. Grudges and bitterness and resentment we hold. We know that's wrong, but we, we somehow get entrenched in this stuff. And we, we have this unresolved guilt that sometimes eats at us alive. Hey, can I tell you that Jesus has freed you from all of that? He has set you free from that bondage. The devil wants to enslave you, wants to remind you, wants to accuse you because that's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. Can I tell you that God has freed you from all of that stuff that has enslaved you in the past? All of the things you have said, all of the grudges and the bitterness, resentment, the anger you have exhibited, God has freed you from it. You don't have to live in that. See, God allows personal rejection so He can accept us. That's what we talked about just a minute ago. God allows financial pressure so we can understand His wealth, His riches, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. That He supplies every need. God allows unresolved guilt, watch, so we can see His forgiveness. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. And not living in the truth, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. First John 2, 1 says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, John's like, look, you're, you're still in this cursed state. You're a Christian. You know God, but you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Somebody say hallelujah. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. And can I tell you, Jesus is a lawyer that's never lost a case. Some enjoy carrying around all the guilt after they have been forgiven because that leads them into works. You know why so many of us get so wrapped up in legalism and work our, our, ourselves silly, trying to be as religious as we can because of past guilt that we're carrying, that we somehow have to make up for. This leads to self-righteousness. This is a destructive attitude in the person that is consumed with themselves to such a degree they cannot be consumed with the person of Christ. Guilt is eating them alive. Often these people become like secular humanists in their thinking and practice man-centered rather than God-centered faith. Hey, here's the fact. The blood of Jesus Christ took care of your sin 
and your guilt. And you cannot live in victory without Christ and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I like what one writer said. He said, you may have to live with the consequences of your past, but you do not have to live with the burden of your past. Here's the next one. Here's another detractor to encouragement, physical affliction. When you get sick or you're in pain, you get depressed very easy. 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul said this, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Wow, what a perspective. I'm afflicted, I'm in pain to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Hey, look, you notice he didn't say I prayed for God to take it away. He said I begged for God to take it away. Each time he said, my grace, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. My power, now watch this. Man, this is incredible. My power works best in weakness. So when you feel you're at your weakest, God's power is at its best. My power works best in weakness. So now he says, watch, I am glad, Paul said. Beg God to take this tormenting thorn from him. But now he says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure. That's why I take pleasure, he said, in my weaknesses and in insults, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am, what did he say? Strong. Physical affliction. Circumstantial pressures. Circumstantial pressures. God allows this so we can see His objectives. In James 1, 2, again, His half-brother says this, Dear brothers and sisters, my troubles of any kind come your way. Oh, don't you just love the Bible? He says, when any kind of trouble comes your way, he says, consider an opportunity. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, wanting nothing. We have every reason to be excited when trials come into our lives, is what James says. Who would eventually be a martyr and literally give his life for Christ. We have every reason to be excited when trials come into our lives because of our faith. The trying of our faith brings about godly character. Here's another detractor to encouragement, spiritual warfare. Isn't it true that our enemy knows how to put pressure on us in certain key areas of our lives? Isn't it true that Satan knows your buttons? He knows what to press to get you out of sorts. You see, he's after us. He's not after lost, the lost. He has the lost. He's after the church. But how many understand 
that Jesus is still victorious. How many understand and believe that greater is He? Y'all finish that with me. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. So sometimes when you're feeling oppressed by the devil, and he's playing with your mind and your emotions and your heart and your feelings, and he's getting you to focus in th- uh, on those things more than your faith and your relationship with Christ, why don't you just quote 1 John 4, 4 to him? Why don't you quote James 4, 7, 8 to him? says, look, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and what does the devil have to do? He's got to flee. So Satan, I'm God's. So get away from me. Because I'm submitted to him. How about recurring memories, another detractor to encouragement? People that have gone through traumatic circumstances in their lives, they get discouraged on the anniversary dates, Christmas time, wedding anniversary, death of a loved one. We know this all, all too well. Boy, it makes you discouraged. It makes you depressed. It makes you just want to focus on you. And there's times for that. There's times to get away. It's okay to step away, to collect yourself. It's okay to take some time. For yourself, I'm not saying that. These times get discouraging, get depressing. The next thing you know, you're at a low point. And it's hard for you to muster any energy to, to be of service to anybody else, let alone encourage somebody else. Genesis 50, 20 says this. But as for you, you thought evil against me, Joseph said. But God meant it for good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Allow your mind to go to what Joseph has been through in his life. Betrayed by his family. The death of his daddy. All of the time that he was robbed to enjoy the company and the fellowship of his daddy. Because of jealous brothers. And he responds in forgiveness. God meant it for good. Do you believe that Romans 8.28 is true? We know that all things work together for good. To those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So that we can be conformed, verse 29, to the image of His dear Son. God uses times to draw us closer to Him so that His presence is more real to us. Fear of the unknown, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Fear is a dreadful uneasiness over the presence of danger, evil, or pain. The enemy of our faith is often our fear. How about personal disappointment as a detractor to encouragement? This speaks to some kind of letdown. Someone disappoints you. Important plans have been changed or canceled altogether. You've lost something or someone. You feel betrayed or alone. In Luke 24, two disciples were just getting along on the road to Emmaus, or the Emmaus Road, rather. Jesus was right there beside them. Now listen. Right beside them. They were discouraged. 
depressed, and disappointed. All of their hopes were crushed. They understood personal disappointment. And then Jesus speaks up and expounds all things in the Scriptures concerning Himself. And then they realize that this personal disappointment was nothing more than God's way of opening the door for their success in life, for them to be used of Him in a powerful way. One thing to notice in that passage, because of their personal disappointment, Jesus was with them the whole time, and they missed Him. They missed Him. You see, when we don't feel the presence of God close, can I tell you something? It's not because God's moved. Amen? It's not because God has moved. It reminds me of the elderly couple been married 50-plus years, and they were riding in the truck one night, and the husband's driving the truck, and his wife's sitting over there on the passenger side. And she said, you remember the days that we used to ride and I used to hold your arm and we used to be all close when we rode down the road? And the husband looks at his wife and says, honey, I've not moved. Can I tell you, Jesus hadn't moved. If we don't feel the presence of God near, it's not his fault. Sometimes we get so focused on the personal disappointment, we miss, we miss that Jesus is right there with us. Can I ask you tonight, let's go ahead and stand together. We're about to pray. What kind of discouragement are you facing tonight? Remember that our source of encouragement comes from a person who we know cannot disappoint us. We know His love is ever faithful. His presence is ever near. See, people who are going through things need the presence of God in their lives. As we pray tonight, let's seek Him. Let's thank Him for the encouragement that He is to us. And as we begin and lay this foundation for encouragement, let's ask God, Lord, use me. Use me to come alongside somebody and be that encouragement that they need in their life. Father, we love You. God, I thank You for Your Word tonight. Lord, I thank you for the examples in Scripture we have of this powerful truth of encouragement, the one we looked at tonight in the life of Moses at the end of his life, encouraging Joshua. And his words that he uh, felt led of, uh, of you to encourage Joshua with are still encouraging us today. And God, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that your word offers us. And God, how we can... can uh, fight against our discouragement and these, these enemies that like to distract us from being an encouragement, the things that hinder us. I, th- I thank you, God, for the, your word that helps us uh, be able to have the right perspective, a godly perspective. And so, God, in, in all areas of our life, Lord, please help us to, to think biblically, scripturally, God, not emotionally or uh, Lord, we just sometimes get so wrapped up with our feelings and emotions, we just miss what your word has for us. Like, uh, like them walking on the Emmaus Road and just missing Jesus with them. God, we often get so wrapped up in our disappointments and discouragements, God, that we often miss what your word has to tell us. So God, help us to live in your truth. Lord, use us to be an encouragement. Lord, so many today are, are so broken, hopeless. Uh, Lord, there are many in our community. Um, Lord, that are on the brink of just ending it. Uh, Lord, I've talked to some recently, God, who, who are just so down, so low, God, that they, um, 
that they are having these thoughts. And God, I just pray that you would use me, use others in their life to be an encouragement to them. And God, that we would point them to the one who gives ultimate encouragement, and that's Jesus, the one who can change their life. And so, Father, uh, bless this series, anoint it, and use it for your glory. I thank you, God, for each person here tonight. And I pray, God, that whatever is going on in their heart, their mind, Lord, you know all the details. I pray, God, tonight they would leave encouraged. They would leave challenged. God, they would leave, uh, Lord, with a, a verse of Scripture that they can carry with them that will help them in the days ahead. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you do. I'm going to ask Brother Eric if he would to close us in prayer.